0: all these things that are taking place and and lord what is taking place here tonight we want to make sure that we are honoring you lord um we don't want to just have busyness but lord uh we desire for there to be fruit and we desire for there to be where um as christians we don't have to live a dull life not at all it's this exciting life and serving you it's a life where we can roll up our sleeves and and um do yard work or clean inside here as we'll be cleaning inside the building and scrubbing walls and just things that we don't normally get to do during the year, Uh, cleaning uh, carpets or cleaning rugs and things like that. But Lord, also to be able to just um, look forward to the things that are coming up that we can further reach out to this community, to Greeley and to Weld County with the things of God and the love of God, the gospel message. The truth of your word, and I pray that as your word goes forth tonight, that you touch the hearts of your people, even as we talk about these things and 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 look at the psalmist writing about the priority and the importance of the word of God in our lives. So we're thankful that we're here, being able to take in, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray, Amen. So Psalm one nineteen, of course, as we've been looking at over the last couple of weeks, is um, it's the longest chapter in the Bible, one hundred seventy six verses. And I think it's no mistake that Psalm 119 in the middle of the Bible, the emphasis is the benefits and the blessings of the Word of God as we apply it in our lives, as we hold on to the Word of God, as we are obedient to the Word of God. And I think it's very important, my opinion, is that one of the great needs in the church today is to get back to uh, the Word of God, teaching the Word of God, and, and really knowing that the Word of God is is the written word of God, all of it is true for us. And and I think there's been a diminish in the importance and the priority of the word of God in the church at large and questioning the word of God and, and, and things like that. In the psalmist here, which we don't know uh, for sure who wrote this psalm, it's probably, most probable David, who wrote it. That's the best guess that we have because he uses different terms for the word of God. He uses eight terms like the word and he uses the term precepts and testimony and uh, judgments. He uses the word uh, statutes, uh, commandments. Those are the words that we see whenever we read those words here going through it. Remember that he's talking about the word of God. He's talking about the promises of God, the commandments of the Lord. And so David uses those terms in some of the other psalms that we know that David wrote. And particularly in Psalm 16, as he uses those terms and then also talks about the value of the word of God, that it is more valuable than than gold. We should desire it more than gold and and sweeter than honey in a honeycomb. So we'll see those terms that he uses. So probably it was David that wrote this psalm. But again, we don't know for sure. And as we continue here, verse 113, let's pick up our text that we read. I hate the double-minded, the psalmist writes, but I love your law. You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. Depart from me, you evildoers, for I will keep the commandments of my God. Uphold me according to your word that I may live. And do not let me be ashamed of my hope. Hold me up, and I shall be safe, and I shall observe your statutes continually. You reject all those who stray from your statutes, for their deceit is falsehood. You put away all the wicked, verse 119, of the earth like dross. Therefore, I love your testimonies. My flesh trembles for fear of you, and I am afraid of your judgments. So, here, as the psalmist is saying, that as I have your word, I don't have to be double minded. And that's the wonderful thing about having the Word of God. We don't have to be double-minded. You see, people that don't embrace the Word of God, oftentimes they're double-minded. In other words, they're always changing their opinion, their philosophy. What's the latest fad? What's the latest, you know, uh, philosophy? What's the latest uh, popular thing to do that people are looking to find satisfaction and fulfillment? The Word of God is sure. And the word of God doesn't change so we can have uh, the word of God to where it gives us stability and, and it gives us safety. And that's what the psalmist is writing about, that you are my hiding place and my shield, I hope in your word. Now, the Lord personally is our shield, as David would write in the Psalms, that, Lord, keep me under the shadow of your wings. Hide me under the shadow of your wings. And he talks about um, the safety and security of the Lord. Lord, you're my strength. You're my safety. You're my protector. You're my high tower. All those places that we know that speak of that the Lord is the one that as we hide ourselves in the love of the Lord and the word of God, it is a place of security and safety. And that's what the Bible declares to us and that's what the psalmist is declaring to us. There is safety and security and stability in applying the word of God in our lives, in living the word of God. And I'm so thankful for that. You know, a hiding place is a place of safety and security. And it isn't like, like Travis was saying, you know, that, that the Father, he desires for us to find him and know him through the word. But that place of safety is what it is as we just take the word of God and work it deep within our hearts. And I am so thankful for that. Aren't you thankful that we don't have to go through life being confused all the time and being double-minded and, and you know, what's the latest fad? And the world's opinions change constantly. But we have the word of God that keeps us safe safe from deception and darkness and evil. And I pray that we would always remember that. I remember when you read Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 1, at the end of chapter 1 of Proverbs, it speaks of safety and security and God's wisdom. And one of the things that we did for VBS one year is we made that a theme. Uh, safety and security and God's wisdom. And it was a wonderful VBS. And what we did was that we made it to where the kids came. And and then we had those who, you know, are our uh, first responders. We had the sheriff's office come out and talk to the kids about, you know, stranger danger. And, and they did a demonstration with the dogs. And then the next day, the fire department came out and talked to the kids about fire safety. And then Paramedics came out and talked to the kids about different things and sunburns and you know what happens if you get bit by a dog and things like that. They were talking about safety. And then we made Bible lessons about how there's safety in knowing the word of God. We don't have to be confused. We don't have to go down a road of deception and fall into the traps of the enemy and live in the darkness of the world. So the psalmist is saying we can trust and hide in God's word and we don't have to be double minded. And if you apply God's word in your life and live it, it will not fail you. It will not fail you. And you are going to be strong and mature in the Lord. But notice in verse 113, as we read that I love your law, law, another uh, term used for the word of God. And in verse 119, uh, again, I love your testimonies. Testimony, another word speaking of the word of God. And it speaks of that we should have a love for the word of God. What do you mean by that? What does the psalmist mean by that? It means that we should have a desire and a hunger for the word of God. And we're going to see that the psalmist is going to speak that we should have a desire more than the riches of the world, more than all the gold in the world. And David speaks about that we should desire uh, your word more than gold and fine gold. Just having that desire and a hunger to know his word. And then in verse uh, 120 here, we see that he talks about having a reverence for the word of God as, and I am afraid of your judgments. In other words, revering, having a high regard for the word of God. This is the written word of God. And it's interesting, we're going to see in Psalm 138 when we get there in just a few weeks, but when we get there, we're going to see that David writes that, uh, that, Lord, you magnify your word above your name. And that's an amazing statement to me that he magnifies his word above his name. And it was the scribes that when they wrote the name of God in the Old Testament, L-O-R-D, capitalized, they revered the name of the Lord so much that when they wrote Lord Yahweh, Uh, Jehovah has been translated uh, that they would go and they would wash. They would go through a a washing uh, and cleansing, you know, ritual and come back and start writing if they wrote it again. And some of these Psalms that you see in one verse that Lord is used, the name of God in one verse. And they have to go back and go through the, you know, the washing ceremony. That's how much they revered the name of the Lord. So when Jesus comes along and starts saying, my father. Boy, they didn't like that. And if you want to learn how to pray, as the disciples said, you pray, Our Father who art in heaven. And he spoke about his father, and it, it just, um, they were ones that uh, they, they you know, were scandalized by that because how dare you call him your father? And then Jesus, as he's speaking to them in John chapter 8, by what authority do I say these things? That I do nothing apart from my father, I speak nothing apart from him. And they said, as they argued with him, how they came from Abraham and his descendants. And Jesus said, well, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And they said, what do you mean, Abraham rejoiced to see your day? Could it be a reference to Genesis chapter 14? That's a study for another time. But they said, you're not but 50 years of age. And Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. And when he said, I am, that declaration of deity, they knew exactly what Jesus was saying. He was using the name of God. And they picked up stones to stone him for blasphemy. You're claiming to be God. Before Abraham was, I am, ego amin in the Greek. What Jesus was saying is that I am God. When Moses was at the burning bush and he asked God, what is your name that I can go back and tell the children of Israel? God said what? I am that I am. You tell them that I am has sent you. So they translated it to Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, no vowels, because they reverenced the name of God so much that they didn't want to make it to where you pronounced it in some would, you know, translate it Jehovah. But when Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am, he was saying, I was the one. Speaking to Moses in the burning bush. And they picked up stones. And he reveres, he magnifies his word above his very name. Listen, what we have here is the written word of God. We reverence his name. We reverence the word of God. We are to hold it in high regard what the word of God says to us. And that is being diminished so much today. And I pray that we would know that the word of God is given to us for our benefit and our blessing. And this is the Lord speaking oftentimes. And even this week it's happened that people called and, and they're sad. They're, they're in crisis. They're going through difficulties. And they, they say, I just want to hear from the Lord. And so I talk to them about seeking the Lord and and seeking his word and come and be in fellowship and hear God's word. Oh, I need to hear from the Lord. And there, their Bibles are sitting on their nightstands right there or in their bookshelves collecting dust. You want to hear from the Lord? Open your Bibles. And you guys know this as he speaks to us, his love letter given to us and He reveals himself to us. And so the word of God is to be held in high regard is what is being told to us here in verse 120. In verse 121, I have done justice and righteousness. Do not leave me to my oppressors. Be surety for your servant for good. Do not let the proud oppress me. My eyes fail from seeing yourself, seeking your salvation, that is, in your righteous word. Deal with your servant according to your mercy and teach me your statutes. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. It is time for you to act, O Lord, for they have regarded your law as void. Therefore, I love your commandments more than gold. Yes, than fine gold. Therefore, all your precepts concerning all things I consider to be right. I hate every false way. So it's important that we view all of God's word as true. Or you're going to make the word of God void in your life. And we are seeing that happen more and more in our society. Our society, our courts, our government is making the word of God void and doesn't want anything to do with it. For they have regarded your law as void, verse 126. Uh, But it's interesting that verse 123, again, as I was reading this this afternoon, my eyes fail from seeking your salvation and your righteous word. David, if this was David, talking about how he was reading the Word of God. He desired to read and seek the Word of God to where his eyes got tired. I want to encourage you to continue to seek the Word of God. It reminds me of Paul the Apostle at the end of his life when he's pleading to Timothy. Timothy, come to me. I'm in this terrible place. My departure's at hand. My departure's at hand. I'm about ready to be executed. And I want you to bring the coat. Bring my coat. And I just picture Paul in Rome there in a dark dungeon this time. He's not under house arrest like his first imprisonment. But he's in a damp, dark place. Bring my my coat, Timothy. It's cold. But especially bring the parchments. Bring the scrolls. And even Paul at the end of his life desired to be reading and seeking the word of God. And here the psalmist says in verse 128, I, can, I hate every false way as he ends that stanza saying that. I hate every false way. And, and we should hate sin and evil. We don't hate the sinner. But we should learn as a Christian to just hate sin. Because it's bad news. And it's destructive. And it leads to Death. And it leads to defeat. It's just bad news. And we should look at sin and evil. And it should break our hearts as we look at it. And hate every false way. In verse 129. Your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore my soul keeps them. The entrance of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant it, for I long for your commandments. Look upon me and be merciful to me as your custom is towards uh, towards those who love your name. And direct my steps by your word and let no inquiry have dominion over me. Redeem me from the oppression of man, that I may keep your precepts. And Make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. In verse 136, rivers of water run down from my eyes because men do not keep your law. So God's testimonies are wonderful. And again, when we live in God's word, life is going to be wonderful. And, and here the psalmist is going to talk about the word of God transforming our minds. And he hits on this a little bit as he says, give me understanding, uh, help me to to be ones as you direct my step, as I know what those steps are, redeem me from uh, the oppression of man, uh, help my face, that is, make your face shine upon your servant, and teach me. So here he's going to get more into talking about transforming your mind with the word of God as you take it in. And, of course, the New Testament talks a whole lot about that. As Romans chapter 12 says, don't be conformed to this world, but what be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may know what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And in the book of Philippians, Paul mentions a lot about have this mind as the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you. And also in some of his other epistles. So as we read the word of God, we know what the mind of Christ is, what the heart of God is. We, we have it in our heads but we have it in our hearts. And we know how it is that the word of God works in our lives because it's alive and powerful and it transforms us. It's not to where we are conformed to the world because there's a lot of stuff that comes into our minds that if we give into it and take heed to it and pay a whole lot of attention to it, it's going to conform us into the world. But he says, transform yourself. How? By the renewing of your mind. Take in the word of God constantly. But I like what verse 136 says says here that rivers of water run down from my eyes because men do not keep your law we should have compassion and a broken heart over those that we know that are linked to us that we work alongside of that perhaps are in our family in our neighborhoods at school that they don't have the word of god I think that most of us here, if not all of us, would agree what a blessing and a benefit it is to know the Word of God and have the Word of God that, that renews our minds in Christ, the Word of God that guides us and directs us, and uh, the Word of God that illuminates so we can walk in light, the Word of God that guides us and gives us wisdom and comforts us and is our help. And the Word of God is so beneficial, yet those who don't have Christ who are not Christians, they don't have that. And we weep, don't we? We weep as we see how people are caught up in just the deception of the world in the darkness and the evil of the world. And, and I hope and pray that we're not ones that are like, ugh, you know, and, and, and show contempt and just anger and all of this. But we would weep. Here's David, a warrior. It's saying that, that water runs down. From my eyes, because men do not keep your law, because he knows that, that there is going to be harm and defeat that's going to happen, just as anybody who doesn't have God's word. Deception, darkness, that's going to happen. In verse 137, Righteous are you, O Lord, and upright are your judgments. Your testimonies which you have commanded are righteous and very faithful. My zeal has consumed me because my enemies have forgotten your words. Your word is very pure, therefore your servant loves it. I am small and despised, yet I do not forget your precepts. Your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and your law is truth. Trouble and anguish have overtaken me, yet your commandments are my delights. The righteousness of your testimony is everlasting. Give me understanding and I shall live. So our righteousness, of course, comes from Jesus Christ. But the word of God helps us to practice righteousness, to live in righteousness in this sinful world. It reminds me so much of what Paul writes about in Ephesians chapter 4. And we went over it not long ago, but remember that Paul, as he's talking about, that you put off the the old man, put on the new man. In other words, what he was telling the Ephesian believers is that you no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in futility of mind and having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God. The ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. And having given themselves over to lewdness and and work of all uncleanness with greediness as I read this to you. But you have not so learned Christ. In other words, you're a Christian now. You're not learning these things. That was when you were a non-believer. That's Gentile stuff. Just, you know, those things. Sin and darkness and and, um, lewdness and uncleanness and greediness. But he goes on and he says, Put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Continue taking in the truth of God's word and put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So just so we're clear on this, that we cannot present our own righteousness before God because our righteousness is as filthy rags. But when we come to Jesus Christ and recognize our need for him, to be our Lord and Savior, and to be forgiven of sin, then we are forgiven and we are clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Just as we see in Zechariah chapter 3, Joshua the high priest, that story, if you've read it in that chapter, he's standing before the Lord, and there's Satan accusing him, and he has filthy rags on. Now, Joshua the high priest. That to the people, he would have the priestly robes and they would be very beautiful. And the people would look at Joshua, the high priest, and say, man, he's a righteous man. He's the high priest. Look at those beautiful robes. He gets go into the Holy of Holies. He, he, he is, you know, God's representative. They would see him as being so righteous. But as he stood before the Lord, they had filthy rags on. And the Lord rebuked Satan and he said, take those filthy rags and give him new garments. That's a picture of our salvation. As we stand before the Lord in and of ourselves, no matter how righteous you might seem to be, it's us filthy rags. But as we come and surrender to him, then we're clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And then we get to live in righteousness. That is live and do righteous acts is what we get to do. Living for him, doing what is right. That's what righteousness means in the sight of God. And a lot of that isn't talked about Today. Unfortunately, there's people that will talk to me and they say, well, you know, is it okay, Pastor Jeff, if, you know, if I smoke weed, is it okay if I go out partying? Is it okay if I do this? And I talk to them and I ask them, why are you asking that? Here's the thing, folks. Our, our mind and our heart should never be how close to the world can I get and still be a Christian? Our mindset should be, how close can I get to you, Lord, and less of the world? So you have debates, you know, that people are asking me about, you know, the Bible and beer. You know, soon it's going to be the word and weed is what it's going to be. You you wait, that's what it's going to be. And those are the things that are kind of being accepted and coming into the church and all these other things. And I think, why are we debating these things? Why are we bringing the world in? Why are we emphasizing these things? I want to live, as, as Paul writes, in true righteousness and holiness. And it, it means that, Lord, I desire to have a wholesome life. You see, the highway of holiness is better. And it's more free. And it's the best way to live. And I hope and pray that we're understanding that. That being a Christian, living in righteousness and holiness, you see, particularly young people, they think that, oh, God just wants you know, be a killjoy and ruin my life and I can't have any fun. What God is warning us is those things will end up ruining our lives. Those things of sin and carnality. And, And we wonder how much of it can I do? How much can I partake of it? How much can I watch? Rather than, Lord, is this pleasing to you? Lord, is this right in your sight? Can you look at what I am doing, what I'm participating in, and say, you know, that's good. God can look at that and say, that's all right. That's good in his eyes because that's living in the fear of the Lord. It's not a matter of legalism. It's a matter of wisdom and desiring to pursue the things of the Lord. And if you want to live an exciting life? Live for Jesus Christ. You want to be free? Live for Jesus Christ. That's what I'm trying to say. You want to be healthy? You want to live rightly? You want to experience that abundant life? Then live in, in holiness and righteousness. And as you do, living in a way, because God warns us that stay away from that stuff because it's going to harm you. So the debate in our heart should be, Lord, does this please you? Can you look at it and say, this is good. Lord, am I getting closer to you? And you're going to have an exciting life. And you're going to have a blessed life. And there's safety and security in those things. So I hope we're understanding those things. It's not a legalistic kind of do's and don'ts. It's the, you know, grace is living for Jesus. Paul says, should I continue and sin that grace abounds? Certainly not. We're dead to that stuff. We live in a newness of life. Live for him. Live for him. Live the best life that you can. Live for him. And grace means... That I don't just get to live any way that I want. That's what some people think that those who like to talk about grace. And Paul was a champion of grace. That's what they would accuse Paul of. That you got to tell them to keep the law. And I've had, you know, discussions with other pastors. You've got to press the law. You've got to do that. You got to put it on the people. Otherwise, you're going to have a carnal congregation. Don't be talking about that grace stuff all the time. Because they don't understand grace. That grace means I get to live for him. Doesn't mean I live for sin. I am free to live for him. And it's a wonderful, wonderful thing when we understand it and make it our own. That Lord, I love you and I want to experience your grace to a greater degree which means I am free to live for you. Not for sin, but for you. Because I'm free from all that junk. And the one who's brought us out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Who has freed us from captivity as Peter would write in his epistle. And that word captive has the idea of being held hostage. If somebody was holding you hostage and you broke free, would you want to go back to it? Would you want to go back to it? If you're in the dark and you come to the light, do you want to go back to the darkness? So grace means that we get to live for him. And we get to read the word of God and know what it is that the Lord has for us that we can experience his grace to a greater degree to live in his righteousness and holiness. It's a better way of living. It's a higher way of living. Live for Jesus Christ. And I guess you see it. I know that you see it in the people that are linked to you in your lives at work, or family members, or neighborhood people that you care about and love—and you see that the lives that are destroyed, and defeat, and craziness, and discouragement that comes because they don't have the Word of God. They're not living for Jesus. You and I do, and we don't live perfect lives. We're perfectly forgiven. But we have God's grace and His word given to us so we can live a life free from the junk and deception and the darkness. So here the psalmist is really trying to emphasize that. And, and then in verse 145, I cry out with my whole heart, Hear me, O Lord, I will keep your statutes. I cry out to you, Save me, and I will keep your testimonies. I rise before the dawning of the morning. And cry for help, I hope, in your word. My eyes are awake through the night watches, that I may meditate on your word. Hear my voice according to your loving kindness, O Lord. Revive me according to your justice. They draw near who follow after wickedness, and they are far from your law. And you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are truth. Concerning your testimonies, I have known of old that you have founded them forever. So the psalmist praying that, In those times of sleepless nights, he meditates on the word of God, and he has hope. And again, I just want to encourage you that David talks about the night watches. This is another reason why I think that this is probably David. And the night watches where he's, you know, just in agony and crying before the Lord, and he's meditating on the Lord, and he's worshiping the Lord. And he talks about how his pillow is soaked from tears from his weeping. The night watches. Sometimes the night watches are difficult if we experience loss or hardship or when our hearts hurt. The nights when we get up, we can't sleep. Sometimes we can't sleep because our minds are going, we're anxious about something, whatever it might be. So I got a suggestion for you. Don't count sheep. Go to the shepherd. Don't go downstairs and watch some stupid late night talk show or info commercial. Go to the Lord. And that's what the psalmist is saying. And that's the time in the night watches. Sometimes I think I'm almost convinced of it that the Lord has got me up at night because that's when it's quiet. And notice that the the psalmist, again, as he writes, I rise before the dawning of the morning. David would say that I awaken the dawn. The quietest time of the whole day is right before the sun comes up, isn't it? Of the 24 hours, the quietest part of the day is when there's the dawning of the day, very early in the morning. And I believe that sometimes the Lord would have us get up at those times where we can't sleep because that's the quiet time that he can speak to us and he can minister to us. And those are very special times. So take advantage of those times, especially in the summertime. You know, when the mornings are so beautiful, just to to be able to spend that time and awaken the dawn once in a while. In the sleepless nights, go to the Lord. Read the word of God. Be in prayer. And the Lord's going to minister to you in a very wonderful and powerful way. Well, we continue in verse 153. "That consider my affliction and deliver me. For I do not forget your law. Plead my cause and redeem me revive me according to your word salvation is far from the wicked for they do not seek your statutes greater your tender mercies o lord revive me according to your judgments many are my persecutors and my enemies yet i do not turn from your testimonies i see the treacherous and i am disgusted because they do not keep your word consider how i love your precepts remind me o lord according to your loving kindness The entirety of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. So we know that the word of God, notice in verse 154, it's revive me. In verse 156, it's revive me. In verse 159, revive me according to your loving kindness. So know this, when you're feeling weak and down, that the Lord desires to revive you. And I know that many of you have experienced that, haven't you? That the word of God, just as you read it, it'll just the promises and the word of God touches your heart and just revives you. It strengthens you. And that's what will happen as you have your devotions. Listen, I'm going to say this again. And, and I know I'm repeating myself, um, but I will not be negligent to remind you of these things. Devotions are very, very important. As you get up, in the mornings, whatever that morning means for you. Some of you may work at night or swing shifts, but as you begin your day, have devotions. I can't emphasize that enough. Read your Bible every single day. It's wonderful. If you're here coming on Wednesdays and Sundays, I think it's great. It's necessary. I think it's important. If you listen to Grace FM, the wonderful teaching all day long, it's great. It's wonderful. It's a blessing, but don't use that as a substitute for you having your own devotions, reading your Bible every single day. It is the way, again, to safety and security and maturity. There's no other way to really grow in the Word of God than than you being in the Word of God and you having your devotions every single day. Make it a part of your life. That's one of the things I'm stressing to the guys, the young Timothy. You guys start now, devotions, reading your Bible. And it isn't that if you forget a day that the, you know, Lord doesn't love you, and you don't have God's favor anymore. He he still loves you. He's still going to use you. You still have God's favor, but you miss out. You just miss out. And the Lord ministering to you and reviving you and just speaking to your heart, because again, this is God's word speaking to us. So make sure that you're having your devotions. And people ask me, well, how do I do it? Do I have to do a reading the Bible in a year? You don't have to do a reading the Bible of a year. Read a chapter. Read a song. Read a Proverbs. Just read the Word of God and allow the Lord to minister to you and spend some time with Him, and you will find that all of a sudden you're going to revive. Your spiritual, you know, life is just going to come alive. And I am convinced that Christians feel a dullness and Christianity is mundane because they are not going to the Lord and spending time with him and reading the word and studying themselves. So make sure that you make that a part of your life, a daily life, every single day. In verse 161, princes persecute me without a cause, but my heart stands in awe of your word. I rejoice at your word as one who finds great treasure. I hate and abhor lying, but I love your law. Seven times a day I praise you because of your righteous judgments. Great peace have those who love your law, and nothing causes them to stumble. Lord, I hope for your salvation, and I do your commandments. My soul keeps your testimonies, and I love them exceedingly. I keep your precepts and your testimonies, for all my ways are before you. So we see here that the princess persecute me without a cause. Um, I just want to say this as we get ready to close tonight. That as you believe the word of God in the day in which we're living in. As you stand on the word of God. As you apply the word of God. You know this to be true. The world is going to hate you. And the world's going to persecute you. And we're seeing that more and more aren't we? You see, we need to understand as Christians, as we stand for the word of God, it flies in the face of what the world believes in and stands for. And we are seeing the world as getting further away from the truth of God's word. And Jesus said, they will hate you because they first hated me. And so we're going to get persecuted in one way or another, whether that's people laughing at you or putting you down Or you're going to lose that promotion at work or perhaps lose business or maybe relationships with friends, even family members, because you believe in Jesus Christ and you believe the word of God. I personally believe this is my opinion. But I think it's going to get worse as we get closer to the return of the Lord. I'm a simple Bible teacher, and Paul says that in the last days is going to be perilous times, and evil men and imposters, Timothy, are going to grow worse and worse. And what's the answer? To retreat? To water down the Word of God? To make excuses for the Word of God? To do what some are saying, that the Word of God is evolving? The Word of God is not evolving. That's nonsense. The Word of God is sure, just as the psalmist has said here. And the word of God is established forever. The grass is going to wither away, right? The flower is going to fade. But the word of God is going to endure forever. And Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the word of God is our final authority, but the world's going to come against us. So Timothy, what is it that you do? You must continue in the scriptures that you've learned from childhood. Never stop learning the word of God. But you and I are going to be persecuted more and more for believing the word of God, standing on the word of God, speaking the word of God. That's why we need each other. To encourage each other and bless one another. To come here and, you know, because it's a battle out there. And we come in and the world's been all over us and come against us and stuff and it's good to be revived and refreshed and then we have to go back out again. We need each other to bless one another, to encourage one another. We're a family and the Lord's going to see us through. But there's difficult times that may come because you stand for the word of God. In verse 169, as we finish, let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my supplication come before you. Deliver me according to your word. My lips shall utter praise. For you teach me your statutes. My tongue shall speak of your word. For all your commandments are righteousness. And let your hand become my help, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord. And your law is my delight. And let my soul live, and it shall praise you. And let your judgments help me, for I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments live God's Word and make it a priority in your life and let it be a delight to you. And so, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for this time in your Word and, and in this powerful psalm that we've had the privilege to look at and, and just read and take in. And Lord, that is my prayer for us here at Calvary Chapel that, that your Word is a priority not just academically, but Lord, that it would revive us and help us and guide us, that we would have a high regard for your word, that we would desire your word to apply it, to know you more, that we would find safety and security in your word and benefit and blessing, that we would love your word. And Lord, as we study your word, you being revealed to us your ways, your promises, your salvation, your goodness, your faithfulness, you personally, Lord, that we would grow in our love for you. And Lord, help us to be committed to your word. In a day in a world that says that we shouldn't, in a day in a world that comes against us, Lord, but Lord, we know that your word is true and it is established and it's sure and we can trust in your word. We can trust in you. And Lord, may we just live in your grace, living for you in every way, desiring to draw closer to you. Lord, we know that we have liberty in Christ. But may it be our hearts that we desire to draw closer to you and live for you and to know you. Not in a haughty, prideful kind of way, but humbled before you, having compassion for the lost. May our eyes weep, our faces weep for those who don't know you because they are lost and they're deceived and they're blinded and they're in darkness. And Father, may we be committed ourselves to giving the gospel and the word of God to others. That's what the world needs. That's what this nation needs. Oh, Father, I pray if there's anyone even listening tonight, if you're here and you've never embraced Jesus as your Lord and Savior, He loves you so much. And this is what this Bible declares to us, that we've all sinned, every single one of us. And Jesus, the Son of God, came and died for your sins. You see, He lived a perfect life. He's the Son of God. He's God incarnate in the person of Jesus Christ that came to this world because He loves you to take care of the sin problem. There is no other hope, no other salvation that is found. It's only found in Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross for you. He died in place of you and for you. He was put into a grave and he rose again. He conquered sin and death. He proved that he was the Son of God and he loves you. And now he says, Come. You can't save yourself. Not a church can save you. Not a pastor can save you. You can't save yourself only Jesus as you recognize your need for Him as your personal Lord and Savior. The Bible says repent. It just simply means turn direction. Quit going the direction you're going and turn to Jesus. Let Him forgive you. Ask for that forgiveness. He will hear you. And ask Him to sit upon the throne of your life as you surrender to Him and praying, Jesus, I come to you a sinner I confess it and I ask that you would forgive me of my sins I believe that you died for me and I thank you and I believe that you're alive you rose from the grave and you've been speaking to my heart and now I ask that you be my personal Lord and Savior and that you would truly be the Lord of my life thank you for saving me Help me to live for you and to walk with you. Thank you for giving me this new beginning. And I thank you for hearing my cry and for saving me in Jesus' name. Lord, may all of us leave this place rejoicing that we are free in Christ, free from sin, the penalty of sin and the power of sin in our lives, just desiring to live for you and experiencing that abundant life thank you for all that are here take us all home and Lord if you get us up tonight or any night in the night watches may we spend time with you may we begin our day tomorrow with you just spending time and praying taking our Bibles and reading a chapter or a Psalm or Proverbs or taking time to read through a book Just allowing you to speak to us. To grow in our relationship and love with Jesus Christ. I pray that for all of us. And may we encourage one another in this world that we're living in. So Lord, I thank you again for tonight. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Would you please stand?